What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have another Q&A, and I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you, as always, for being here. Um, let's dig into it. What has been going on with you in the last month? What's been going on with your training and your nutrition? Well, there's been a ton going on in the last month. It's been such a crazy month. Uh, we moved houses. We um, had like so many just like doctor's appointments. My son had a surgery. So it was a crazy, crazy month. So there for a while, I think last time we talked to, I was doing three days per week just because of all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So it was pretty low volume. And then I jumped into doing five days per week and much higher volume. Plus we got the prime rack in, which is so exciting. And so I've been using that a ton. Um, I was last week, like so unbelievably sore, especially my lower body. (laughs) I haven't been that sore in a really long time. So that was different, (laughs) but, um, it's been a lot of fun doing more training. So is it the gold is hypertrophy now? Yep. Focus more on like, um, lats, shoulders, and hamstrings are like the main, main focuses. Okay. I like that. What's your split? It is upper, lower, upper, lower. And then this is arms, but it's like almost all, uh, medial delt and rear delt focused work. Okay. It is fun. It's fun, but it's so frustrating because the very lowest weight on the prime rack is like struggle, big time struggle on um, lateral raises or any of like the small, small muscle group stuff. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I know that for Y raises, that's one where I struggle a little bit with that for a lot of raises is okay. But like for a Y raise, I have a little bit of difficulty with that also. Yeah. It's frustrating. We were thinking about like, maybe we need to get some band pegs and do like a reverse band situation. I don't know, but trying to think of how that would, it's also, I know it would be a weird resistance curve on that. Um, but it's also like a brand new movement, um, that I haven't done in forever because I've been working out at home for so long. So I've only used dumbbells. So doing anything in lengthened position is really challenging on shoulders. So I I think that that is going to be the biggest thing is just time. Cause even like this week, I've been so much less sore than I was last week on week one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That sounds like, that sounds fun though. Lats, delts. Yeah. It's fun. Um, those, those, those are pretty fun areas of emphasis as well. Hamstrings are a little bit more brutal, but uh, so are you guys doing like a lot more like RDL variations, a lot more leg curl variations? Yeah. Like- so the workouts are split up into 10 workouts. So week one is one through five, week two is six through 10. And the only difference is there's yeah. um, 10 reps on everything. <clears throat> For, well, almost everything for week one. Week two, a couple of movements are switched out, for the, but for the most part, it's just eight reps versus 10. And then, um, so like this week, today I did barbell and press versus dumbbell, which was last week. Um, 
Mm-hmm. The I start. I know that there was a reason I started saying that. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Um, last week I did um, like mm-hmm. cable hamstring curl, whereas this week it was on the rower. So um, it's I, I I was extremely sore from like a glute focused split squat, which is not even a cable mm-hmm. movement. So it's mm-hmm. not that new. I think just the extra volume got right. me, but. Um, I don't know. I kind of talked myself away from the original point. <laughs> Anyways, I don't even uh, remember okay. where it's an interesting split. I'm, I'm stoked to see how the building phase goes regardless. And I'm glad that it is going well. And with life calming down a little bit, it basically sounds like you guys decided to bump the training volume up yeah. a little bit. Cool. Cool. Um, you ready to get into ready. some Q&A? All right. The first question I have for you is best workout slash diet tips for sleep deprived moms trying to balance hormones and lose weight. So balancing hormones and losing weight, it's, that's kind of like, um, you have to focus on one before you can take care of the other. It's really hard to balance hormones while you're in a deficit, but a lot of times, just like as a result of balancing hormones, you can lose some weight. And then, and then as a result, going into a fat loss phase, you'll also make that fat loss easier. But while you're sleep deprived, um, you have to realize that that is a big stressor on your body. And being in a deficit is also a stressor on your body. Training is also a stressor on your body. So fixing sleep as much as possible would, in my opinion, be the first big domino in that. Um, if you are sleeping well, so let's say I was just talking through this with a client yesterday. Let's say two groups of people lose 20 pounds in group one. If they are sleeping well, let's say that they could lose like 80% of that as fat mass and 20% as muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, the other group, if they're not sleeping well, it could be like 60, 40, or more in the opposite direction where you're actually losing muscle and um, not as much fat. So even if you're seeing weight loss on the scale, if you're not sleeping well, it's not going to give you what you're actually after. Um, So that would be the first major thing. And also just sleeping poorly makes it so much harder because you're more hungry, your cravings are higher, your willpower tank feels like it's just lower. So, so many things are easier if you can get some good sleep first. And did you say sleep deprived, like parent, mom? Yeah. So if it's like, if this is a a situation where it's a new baby, then I would just focus on eating at maintenance and eating a lot of micronutrient dense food. And then uh, doing some resistance training and waiting as hard as that is. And it sucks because you don't feel like you don't feel like your body is even yours for a long time. So like waiting before you can lose fat really sucks. And I hate even giving that advice. And I tried to not take that my own advice at, at that time too, but waiting until the baby is sleeping well is going to be so much better for everybody. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I think like in that scenario, especially you have to look at like what's 
what's the best for your health and for your results long-term, right? And as you mentioned, if we're not getting enough sleep, that's going to have so, so many negative carryovers to so many other aspects of what we have going on here. There's just going to be a lot more challenging, right? So I would very much like, like you said, I would focus on lifestyle first. And like, maybe we do go through a health phase that's a couple months long where you're getting in the gym, you're focusing on resistance training, maybe just two to three days a week, focusing on building some lean muscle, which is going to increase your metabolism. Um, it's going to change the way your body partitions nutrients. And the reality is like during this time, we probably could still see some fat loss, but fat loss isn't going to be the number one goal. And then focusing on improving sleep and like things like managing stress. Like we were just talking about this on our team call right before this, right? Something very similar where in situations like this, sometimes the thing you need isn't like to push for fat loss right away, especially when stress is so high. Again, like I would probably focus on all these other factors. And I mean, like when we look at balancing hormones, so like one of the best things you can do, a lot of times people look at it as like a... Now, like, this is very context dependent when we're talking about hormones, but I think a lot of times people look at it as like, my hormones are off. So thus, like my lifestyle is this, but a lot of times it's like the hormones are a result of the lifestyle, not the other way around. Like, so like, if we look at like, okay, you're, you're sleep deprived. Okay. Right away. We know cortisol levels are going to be much higher. And this is going to have a cascade of probably, um, negative benefits on, other hormones that are circulating, right? So like one of the best things we could do would be to probably focus on improving sleep. And like, it sounds overly simplified, but again, if we focus on like improving your micronutrient intake on improving your sleep and on on improving your stress management, that in of itself is going to very likely have a positive benefit on like where hormones are at. Um, And then, I mean, even then also understanding like losing body fat, like being in a calorie deficit as a whole, And it depends on where the individual is coming from. Um, If you're like a lean person trying to get leaner, being in a calorie deficit, it probably isn't going to be the best for your hormones, which isn't to say like lean people should never try to get leaner, right? But like we need to have times away from dieting as well. But I mean, for some individuals, like if you do have a large amount of body fat to lose, we know, okay, like if you have a lot of body fat, estrogen is going to be a lot higher. Um, body fat is also going to be more inflammatory. So inflammation is going to be a little bit higher. So like actually the act of losing body fat can like potentially help restore more balance and health there. So it does kind of like depend on where you're coming from there. Um, but long story short, I basically answer is <laughs> either that. Yeah. Yeah. Any other yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I th- but in the context of a new mom, like I'm just assuming this is a new mom because she said sleep. Mm-hmm. I would just um, be That's really, really um, gentle with yourself and patient on that. And uh, so many like hormones is really general, but a lot of times whenever somebody says that they're thinking like sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and, um, or maybe like thyroid. So in those cases, we've learned like stress is such a big deal in those, the, um, like regulating those hormones. So I'd say focus in on being able to sleep before going down the route of anything else. And you're probably just from that. And just from the aspect of having more time, um, as, uh, like in, an, uh, in the newborn phase, like being longer postpartum, probably just as an effect of that and focusing in on sleep and micronutrient dense foods and getting macros dialed in, you'll probably see some recomp. 
Yeah, absolutely. But basically, I think regardless, we would both agree probably take at least a few months in a health phase before you enter like yeah, that sure. loss. Cool. Um, what do you have? What foods that are still healthy? Uh, let me pull this up so that I make sure I'm wording it right so I don't um, change the whole context of it. Okay, what are some foods to avoid that are still healthy that may cause bloating during a cut? Um, I mean, it's, this is again, going to be so dependent on the person as far as like what foods are going to cause you to blow. So, I mean, like if we look at that, basically we could say, okay, most cruciferous veggies are probably going to cause some bloating depending on the individual. So, I mean, if we look at like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, for example, crucif. Now I'm absolutely not saying you should avoid those, right? I would like gauge your individual tolerance. And even if it is like, hey, these foods cause me a little bit of bloating, I don't feel too bad. It's not that big of a deal, right? Um, But if it's like, so like, I want to also make sure when I'm putting this out here, this is not me saying like you should avoid any of these foods. Um, But those could, like cruciferous veggies could potentially be some that like maybe we pull that back a little bit. And even like to a further extent, some people will just have a harder time with uncooked veggies as a whole. Right. So maybe most of the vegetables that you're eating, we're going with like cooked veggies instead of uncooked veggies. And that makes it a lot easier for your body to digest. And like, I would again really like basis on the symptom. It's not something that everybody has to do by any means, but if you do experience like, Hey, I'm eating like whole foods, I'm eating a lot of veggies and I'm still really struggling with bloating. Okay. That could be a decent place to start. I would really start if we're looking at that, I would really start with like, okay, is there a specific meal where you're noticing you're feeling most bloated? And then like, let's dig into the context of that specific meal um, a little bit more in depth. From there, I'll say that one other, one other food that somewhat commonly gives people issues that I've seen is actually brown rice. So like if we look at like brown rice versus white rice, I believe it's a phytate that is like in the head of brown rice that's removed when it goes to white rice. And that will sometimes, like phytates and lectins, will sometimes give people some digestive issues as well, or like irritate someone's gut. Again, this isn't true for everyone. I wouldn't even say it's true for the majority of people. But like, if we're talking about bloating in this case, um, those are a couple things you could look to. Um, any other thoughts on that? I kind of thought along that same lines as you did with cooking things. I'd say. If you are experiencing a lot of bloating with like a particular vegetable, so a really common one, like you said, is things like broccoli or Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts in particular seem to be really bloating, but you can still like make sure that you're like, if you um, like shred them and then cook them, that causes a lot less bloating than like cooking them whole and then not having them cooked as much. So just little things like that, but then also amount. So whenever you're dieting, most people will try will like up the amount of veggies to feel more full. And so if you're having like a bunch of Brussels sprouts all at once, that might cause problems. Whereas if you had Brussels sprouts and bell peppers and asparagus, like all in one meal, that probably would be fine. But I think more than even one food, if it's something that's uh, generally healthy and can tend to cause a little bit of bloating, but it's not severe. I think more than just the actual food, I would look into 
how much water are you drinking and when? So if it's like you're drinking 40 ounces of water during your meal, maybe not a great idea. Um, but if you're not drinking enough water throughout the rest of the day, that's also going to maybe cause some bloating. Um, are you stressed or looking at screens or like scarfing down your food super fast? Cause that will cause a bunch of bloating. Um, just slow down, chew really thoroughly so that your stomach doesn't have to do quite as much work whenever the food gets down there. Um, and then if you're in a stressed state, like a sympathetic state, you're just, your body's not prepared to digest food. So a lot of other things besides just the actual food can be looked at to prevent um, a lot of causes of bloating. But also just like you said, I wouldn't stress too much about a little bit of bloating. Just having food in your stomach is going to like distend your stomach a little bit um, as long as it's not like tight or uncomfortable. So um, I wouldn't worry about that necessarily too much unless like, let's say in the case of a photo shoot, then the day or two leading up to a photo shoot, that's where you'll want to go, okay, I'm going to strip down a bunch of sources of fiber and do like rice and rice cakes and things like that, that are very low uh, residue in the gut. Um, Other than that, just deal with a little bit of gut distension that comes along with fiber and a lot of micronutrient dense foods. Yeah, that's such an important point to make, I think, as well. Like like you said, like in a photo shoot, like the week before a photo shoot, like in that peak week, we will make sure we're removing like any foods that cause bloating or at least for the last few days. But also like part of like gas buildup in your stomach is literally just a natural part of your body breaking down some of these foods, right? And it's not necessarily like, okay, I had a little bit of bloating from eating this food, thus something is wrong, right? Or like I passed gas, so like my body is broken, um, right. Like it's just, it's just a normal part of our body digesting and breaking down food. So I don't think that, I think it can like, like bloating can like be played out a little bit much. I also really like the point about hydration. Like I don't have, I have one client who just recently started and she talked about how for forever her digestion had been off. She always just felt super bloated and literally all we've done is, Hey, we looked at it. She wasn't drinking very much water. Okay. Hey, I want you to make sure you're drinking at least about half your body weight in ounces of water per day. And her digestion has just, just been like, Oh, that's awesome. Now it's not, it's not normally nearly that yeah. easy to fix, but, um, that does make a big difference as well. And the stress is another very good point. Like if we're always in the parasympathetic state or a sympathetic state, excuse me. And then we will struggle to digest nutrients as well. Cool. Um, anything else on that? One? No, I don't think so. Dope. All right. Next I have, um, how much calorie deficit per week for fat loss? Do you want me to take this one? <laughs> take it. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, that's so dependent upon the person. Um, so let's say we're aiming for a pound per week. That'd be, you'd start out with a 3,500 calorie per week deficit and adjust based off of the the client's response to that. So typically we're looking for anywhere from half a percent to 1% per week uh, weight loss. And so it just depends on their current weight and how much they're looking to lose. But basically what we're doing is establishing a maintenance intake, um, adjusting down 
based off of how, what would equal half a percent to 1% per week. And then everybody's different. So some people are going to um, adjust their, like naturally adjust their movement and neat based off of that. And some people won't. So from there, we just kind of uh, keep adjusting to, to be sure that we're within that amount. But that's extremely general. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of questions around adjusting your macros around in a building phase or adjusting macros in a fat loss phase. And that's, it all depends on what rate of loss you see, right? As you said, basically we know that like if we break it down to its simplest level, if you eat 3,500 calories less than you burn in a week, you should lose about a pound of fat in that week, right? So from there, again, if you have a rough idea of where your maintenance intake is, okay, if I want to lose 1.5 pounds per week, okay, I need to decrease my calories by about 750 per day or whatever that is times seven across the course of the week, right? Now, again, and then is basically just adjusting. Like part of this is to like why coaching is a thing because if it was just that simple, everybody could just like, oh, cool, here's my online macro calculator and I'm losing fat and I did the thing, right? But there's so much variability, like you said, with some people are going to have more adaptive metabolisms where their body down regulates neat more quickly. Um, some people are going to go through periods of higher stress and we need to adjust around that as well, right? So it's very much like that's what I would use as a starting point when we're creating the deficit. But from there, then it's going to be a matter of, okay, am I actually seeing that rate of loss? And also it's not just looking at the scale weight, but also like our measurements are changing. How are my progress pictures changing? And taking those things into consideration as well, because sometimes we might not immediately see the scale drop. Like, okay, I was in a 3,500 calorie deficit and I lost exactly a pound this week, right? Um, So we need to be able to take those other things into consideration as well. But that's a good starting point. Um, yeah, the main thing to understand is like there's no set in stone progression that everybody follows. It's all based around, okay, for this client, what do we think is a realistic rate of loss? And then we're building things around that. Are they hitting this desired rate of loss? Yes or no? And then we're adjusting based on that. Yeah. Cool. Um, how to periodize daily steps during fat loss program? Increasing every month. So steps are very similar where like if you're, again, it's all based around the rate of loss. We don't have like a periodization for steps where it's like, Hey, that I don't know why that's a funny idea to me. Um, we basically with steps, what we're typically looking at is, Hey, where are your steps at generally right now? Are you getting a decent amount of movement? So like if a client starts and they're only getting about 2000 steps per day, we will probably try to bring that up to at least like 5,000 steps per day on average because below that, then we know metabolic health is probably going to start to suffer. Um, but then from there, for some people, then it's basically just a conversation of what's realistic for you, right? For some people, it might be like, hey, I work at a desk job all day, then I run home, I cook, I have all this going on. Like for me, I can't afford to spend more time getting in more steps. So that's like the trade-off is, okay, we're probably going to have to diet you on less calories, but also you're moving less. So it's the equivalent of like somebody eating more, but like moving more. Now, I I don't want to say it's like the equivalent because like you wrote your blog last week about energy flux, which is also an important piece of this. And like for health outcomes, for the amount of muscle tissue that you retain for your metabolism, it is probably going to be beneficial to be closer to this, eat more, move more versus eat less, move less side of the spectrum. 
But for some people, that's just the reality, right? Like, hey, I can't ramp steps up super high. So for most clients, we're looking at, okay, what's a realistic goal for you to hit daily, right? From there, then we're setting macros again. Then we're looking at rate of loss. Are we or are we not losing at about the rate that we want? And then from there, it's basically just, hey, okay, we have a couple options here. We can decrease calories. We can potentially, like, we can decrease the amount of calories coming in, or we can increase the amount of calories that are going out, right? So we could increase steps. We could basically maybe add in a couple days of cardio. Um, almost always, though, I know, like, I think for both of us, this is pretty accurate. Almost always the first adjustment is typically calories or like if there is like, hey, I think I can realistically increase my steps by like 2000 per day. Okay, cool. Let's jump on top of that. But most people hit a threshold pretty quickly where like once we get too far past eight to 10,000 steps, at least I would say with my clients, I think it gets hard for it to like stay reasonable and it just makes sense to like take calories a little bit lower versus trying to like add, hey, you're going to do 15,000 steps every day. This would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I would love to have more control over people's step count, but it just comes down to so many things that are not under my control, like their job and their access to a treadmill and their time before and after work or before and after workouts or anything like that. So, and then right now it's like the weather. <laughs> so if there's no access to a treadmill, right. unless you want to like go out and have snowshoes on and go tread through the ice in some places, then that is a definitely a factor too. So it's, I would love to be able to like increase it every once in a while with people to have that as another lever to pull, but being realistic, it's like, okay, do what you can. Here are some ideas to increase your step count, but we're doing what we can with what we have. I would also say I spent $200 on a little desk treadmill that sits next to my desk. It doesn't have arms on it. It was super cheap and it's like, there's nothing to it. And anybody that can't get more steps, like get one of those. Cause it's been a really good investment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I have a couple of clients that have those and it's extremely helpful. Also speaking of snowshoes, Michaela Lyman, shout out to Michaela. She would literally, I think it was yesterday on her story. She literally was out getting her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so it is yeah. doable. Or like but, Sarah Jackson. Uh, I don't even know what Celsius to Fahrenheit is, but she's in like negative Celsius. It's extremely cold up oh, there. <laughs> looks miserable. <laughs> shout out to everybody in Canada surviving right now as well. Uh, but yeah, there's not like a periodization plan that we follow steps it's not like hey you linearly increase by x amount it's basically just talking with the client about what's realistic setting a realistic target and then like over time hey would you prefer to increase movement or decrease calories for most people again they'll like pass the eight thousand to ten thousand point it's just not realistic to keep increasing steps more um which i also wish it was because again if we all get like fifteen thousand steps a day 12 to fifteen thousand steps a day we could all eat a lot more food we probably again like have better health as a whole, but it's just not feasible for most people. Cool. Um, next up I have, what nutrition cert do you both recommend? Did we talk about this recently? Okay. I need to just make a list of nutrition certs to send out when I get this question. Um, what do you got for us? So PN is great. Um, uh, Mac nutrition is great. 
I have heard good things about um, what's Jason Phillips, uh, his certification NCI. NCI. So I've, there's a lot of ones that are, that are fine. Um, It's just hard to say because so much of what I've learned has come outside of that. Like that's a fine foundation, but Mm -hmm. then like hiring a coach or having a mentor or, um, listening to the right podcasts, it can be so much more beneficial than just the certification alone. Absolutely. And that's, again, like certifications are great, but I would definitely cycle what you said there. I've learned so much more. I've taken many nutrition certifications before or two nutrition certifications before I really started like nutrition coaching people. And I didn't actually feel confident as a nutrition coach until I had hired my own nutrition coach to like take me through the process, explain why we were doing what we were doing, just like understand how we actually coached it as well. That was one of the most helpful things for me. And that's, that's almost always like something I've seen over and over is there will be a topic that I want to learn a ton about. I'll go get a course on it. I'll work through the course and still feel pretty confused. Then I'll just like, okay, who's somebody that I know is actually like doing a very good job teaching, like coaching people through this process. And then I'll go hire them. And then that's typically where it's like, oh, okay. Now all of a sudden this makes so much more sense. Like seeing it played out in application, like on me. Um, I'd repeat that. Like, yeah, Mac nutrition is good. Um, precision nutrition is good. I haven't personally taken NCI. Um, so I can't speak on that. I've heard very good things about Ben House's course, but again, I can't, I also can't speak on that. Um, in one, uh, their, their course I'm taking now, they touch on nutrition a bit. And I think they have another one that goes a little bit more in depth. It's more like has, I, how it relates take. to training though. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't take that as like a starting nutrition yeah. course. I, again, like the thing with nutrition courses is they'll like teach you the basics of it, but so much of nutrition coaching isn't like, how do I set the right? Well, I mean, setting the right macros is important, but so much of it is like understanding people, understanding like how to read all these other like biofeedback and like how somebody's training is going. I'm like, Hey, for some reason, the scale is stuck, but they seem to be doing everything right. Okay, what do we do in this situation, right? Like so much of it comes from actually like coaching people and being coached yourself. I think that's like the gap that most courses miss is the application of how do we take what's going on with all these other areas of their life, like what we're seeing and how their body is changing, what we're seeing and like how they're doing in the training. And then how do we adjust nutrition based around Yeah, that Yeah, it does. And I don't think there's any way for like the certifications that we named do a good job of like teaching foundational things, but there's no way to teach that. Like, cause there's just too many variables. <laughs> so I don't think there's any way to have a certification that really covers every base. Yeah. I mean, you could do like case studies. Yeah. Like, like we, like when you started, the, that's but you're not like bouncing it off of somebody but, in real time like you are with a mentor right 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 exactly and that's like basically like and that's where like a certification is different than a mentor or a coach right where like what like what i'm talking about is like when you started coaching when like we joined forces and then we were like going through the case studies or like same thing as we've done with julie but it's a little bit different 
Like, I think that's so much more valuable to like, Hey, like look at this in their biofeedback, look at like their notes on their training day this day and like, see how this tells us, Hey, maybe we do need to bump carbs up here a little bit, or Hey, maybe we're in a good position to push harder here a bit. Like, I think that's such a valuable thing. And that's really like when it comes to be able to making, being able to make, or even like, Hey, if we look at like this in their food logs, we can probably see, and like this bit of feedback they gave us in their check-ins, we can probably see that you're just not tracking accurately, right? And that's, we need to dig deeper into like that piece of it. Um, that's another thing that I don't think any nutrition course teaches is how to troubleshoot adherence, which I think is probably like one of the most important pieces of it as well, yeah. right? Where it's, you know how to get hit the macros, but you know how to like determine if somebody is actually hitting these targets and like troubleshoot it and help them like get on track if they're not hitting these things. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And that's a huge, huge part of coaching. So that, yeah, oh, yeah. it's a big hole. Huh. I feel like we should make a nutrition coach <laughs> now. Um, anything else to add to that? No. Cool. You didn't, did you have any other nope. questions? Okay, dope. Well, that is all we have for you guys for today. As always, thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time.